0: Hi, this is andrew bennett you're listening to pop culture addicts
1: welcome to pop culture addicts the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world
2: you know that means we get to talk more about movies more music more video games and more <laughs> don't miss a week you never know who's going to be our next guest so okay addicts are you ready for your pop culture fix
1: Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Now, our guest today has documented and filmed videos for bands such as the Deftones. You may have heard of Katy Perry, even. Uh, There's the Dresden Dolls, Jonas Brothers, Nickelback, and more. There's more. There's more to that list. We could go on for a while. There's, There's a lot. But... One of the reasons why we have him today is because one of the more includes the subject of this book, this amazingly awesome book, by the way. Uh, you guys need to go find this book, and we'll give you a website to go to in just a little bit where you can find this book, buy it, and own it for your very selves because you need to. It's called Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen. We are extremely proud and happy to welcome Andrew Bennett to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to the show, Andrew.
0: Thanks for having me, man. I really
1: appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. You, know, you and I had a chance to talk uh, pre-show a little while back. We talked on the phone uh, for a while, and, and I really enjoyed our conversation. In fact, when we got done, I was messaging uh, Kathleen and her husband, John, who does our editing. And I'm like, this is going to be such a cool conversation. Andrew's such a cool guy. I really enjoyed this phone call. This is amazing. Once, and I, got I, got... Past
2: the... Once I got past the wait, people still use their phones for phone calls. Um... Yeah,
1: we had to get past that part. And then I got your book, and, then I, and <laughs> I, I, this book is really cool. I, I, have, uh, I think I'm on my second or third time through it, honestly, because looking at all the pictures, I find something different, I think, it, with each different pass. Um, but before we get into any of those cool stories about your book and, and how it came to be and, and everything else, and your time at 5150 with Van Halen, one of the things that we like to do here is we like to talk about origin stories how people got to where they are, why they do what they do, all those kind of things. Mainly because Kathleen and I are nerds and we love superheroes and we love a good origin story. So uh,
0: we'll get along with it.
1: All right. So what was it that encouraged younger Andrew that made him want to get into filmmaking and even more so maybe even to the point where working with musicians?
0: Uh, I mean, day one getting into filmmaking was the plan was to go to college and then go to law school. And then an older roommate I had, and he was in his late 20s at the time, and I was 20, took me to see Pulp Fiction.
1: Uh Aha.
0: And I saw Pulp Fiction and decided I want to make movies. I want to write dialogue like Quentin writes dialogue. And so I moved from Sacramento to Los Angeles, and I got a job as an assistant to two directors named Mike Tolan and Brian Robbins. And I got that assistant job, which consisted of working 12 hours a day, five days a week, plus a mandatory basketball game every Sunday, in which five assistants would face off with those two guys, three of their friends. We would take elbows to the face all day long. (laughs) Then afterwards, they would have a catered lunch that they would eat in front of us, and then we would go and clean up their mess. And I did that for, the deal is you do that for about a year. They tell you when they hire you, if you work here less than a year, I'll forget your name. If you work here more than a year, I'll just lose respect for you. So every assistant marks their 365th day. (laughs) And and this is 2000, and Deftones had just released White Pony, their biggest record. And all of a sudden, they're Mm -hmm. more commercial than they were. And these were friends of mine from high school. They were like three years older than me. And when I was this punk rock kid that showed up at high school and like the cut off Dickies and the Fugazi shirts, these guys became my friends. Um, Or as the singer told me my first day of high school, he said, hey man, I'm Chino. I said, nice to meet you. He goes, you should hang out with me, man, because you need some friends. (laughs) And so, so this time goes by, I'm an assistant. My, both of my bosses did like big popcorn movies, but they had started doing documentaries. And I was really into documentaries, specifically at the time, The Last Waltz on the band. And I liked meeting people as easy on Radiohead. And one night I went to a Deftones show in LA and I'm hanging out in the dressing room afterwards and I'm congratulating my friends on their success. And they start telling me about, you know, the real life of a band and how we have to tour 10 months out of the year. This is how we really pay our bills was touring band and I just muttered under my breath "Man, that would make a good documentary. And they said, cool, man, let's make a documentary. We leave in two weeks to the second leg of the tour come out. And I said, well, how much money can you guys spend? And the singer goes, man, I only sold a million records. I don't have any money. And so I decided to pull the Cardinal sin as an assistant and go ask my boss for money. Um, I was two weeks out from my one year, so I figured, what are you gonna do, fire me? And I asked him, I went to him, presented him the idea, and before I even asked for money, he said, you know I'm never gonna give you money, right? And I said, yeah, I know. He goes, but it's a good idea. And in a nutshell, he set up these weekends and a couple of weekdays in this two-week period where I met with a team of guys who had all won Oscars for doing documentaries. They were helping me figure out the story and the structure and kind of teaching me how to document. And then I had to go and learn how to pitch. And they sent me to a guy to learn how to pitch. And then I went and pitched the three companies that my boss set up meetings for. All three wanted to do it. I picked the smallest company. My boss said, why are you picking the smallest company? And I said, because I have no idea what I'm doing and they're going to let me mess up the most. And he said, I oh. taught you well. And so I went from this idea to two weeks later living on a tour bus for three and a half months. And I did that film and while I was editing that film, I would edit it at night and wait tables during the day. And one day I'm talking to the singer and he said, we have this third single coming out. Do you want to direct a music video? And I said, no. And he said, why don't you want to direct a music video? I said, because I just did this feature documentary, man. I'm a feature director. And he says, nah, homie, you're a waiter. And then he told me how much money they would pay me to direct a music video. And it was, got me to quit waiting tables.
1: <laughs> I bet. I did that music
0: video, and that music video did really well. And I did a couple, of little more music videos. And then in 03, late 03, I get a call from a record producer named Glenn Ballard who said, uh, I saw this documentary you did on Deftones. I have this young artist that I'm grooming. How do you feel about traveling with us and documenting her experiences and maybe shooting a couple of little makeshift music videos? I said, that sounds great, man. Who, what's her name? And he said, Katie Perry. And I had no idea. Nobody did. Right. And Katie took me quite literally around the world, multiple countries, we shot these little makeshift music videos that helped build my reel. And, um, it was a great experience. And yeah, then, like it. and then, um, from there, I started doing more music videos. And then, uh, in 2004, this is where we're segwaying into Eddie here. Uh, my phone rang and it was Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> nice. And, uh, He had been telling Glenn Ballard, who was producing some songs with him at the time, that he wanted somebody up there to document what he said, his side of this scenario, like how hard he works. Mm -hmm. And Glenn showed him this trailer from the Deftones film. And that Deftones film, by the way, never came out because the label called it dark and depressing. Uh, And I tried to explain to that record label that, one, this is Deftones, they're not the most upbeat perky band in the world right (laughs) and uh and i cited the last waltz as one of my influences and meeting people is easy on radiohead and the head of maverick records screamed at me i'm trying to turn deftones into limp biscuit not radiohead and then smart asked me at this point i'm 23 years old said to the head of Maverick Records, why would you want to turn them into a band that sells 3 million instead of a band that sells 10 million? And I'll spare you his his language, but he was not real receptive to that comment. (laughs) (laughs) That's got a
2: valid point, though.
0: I thought it was, too. But, you know, from a 23-year-old that nobody's ever heard of, that's also, you know, what they call the friend of the band.
2: Right.
0: He did not enjoy that, but... Eddie saw that film and go figure Eddie likes this dark and depressing documentary. And, uh, and Glenn said, Well, hey, check out this kid. And Eddie, it's three o'clock in the morning. And Eddie says, uh, Yeah, call him. And Glenn said, I will. I'll call him tomorrow. Eddie said, No, call him now. And Glenn said, Well, it's three o'clock in the morning. Eddie goes, Give me the phone. I'll call him. <laughs> so my phone rang at 3 a.m. And all I hear is Andrew Bennett. I said, yeah. He goes, it's Ed. I said, Ed who? And he said, just like this, Eddie Van Halen. And I said, hi, Eddie Van Halen. He goes, what are you doing right now? I didn't want to seem uncool until I was asleep. So I just said nothing. He goes, good, come up here. I want to talk to you. So he hands the phone to Glenn. Glenn tells me where he lives and where 5150 is. And I drive up and I park my car and Glenn comes walking out of the studio. And all Glenn Ballard did was hug me and say into my ear, good luck, man. Good luck. And Eddie and I sat down for probably two or three hours and drank some wine. Him and I both ended up getting sober as the years went on, but We sat there drinking some wine, and the first thing he asked me was, what do you know about me, and what do you know about my band? (laughs) I said, you want me to be honest? He goes, no, I invited you up here to lie to me. Of course, (laughs) be honest. I said, I know the song Jump, because it came out when I was four, and it's called Jump. He goes, all right, what else? I said, that's it. That's all I know. He goes, that's all you know about my band said yes he goes Andrew I haven't met anybody in 30 years that doesn't know everything about me you and I we're gonna get along great <laughs> uh,
2: and so anyway yeah
0: I did that in 04 for just a couple of weeks and then I went back to directing music videos for like the Jonas Brothers and I did some more Katy Perry and, nice you know Nickelback Perry Pharrell the best artist I've ever filmed but yeah, so I was doing all these music videos. Then in 06, the phone rang again. And it goes, Andrew it's Ed. I said, hey, Ed. He said, I kicked the bass player out of the band. I'm replacing him with my 15-year-old kid. Come film this. That's how it started.
1: <laughs> That's quite the origin story.
2: That is quite yeah. the origin story. You know, Not everybody gets to say, it. I got a call at 3 a.m. from Eddie Van Halen. Anybody else says that, and you're like, no, no, you didn't. You got scammed is what happened.
0: (laughs) No, I, um, he called from Glenn's phone. That's why I answered. Hmm. Um, been the studio phone, I might not have answered, but thank God he called Glenn Ballard's phone.
2: Right. So, going from working with the Deftones to then working with Katy Perry, that's quite the shift. I mean, from... I mean, like you said, the Deftones are dark, dark and, and depressing. Dark and depressing, and then you well, have Katy Perry. Dark, and depressing. <laughs> you have Katy Perry with her whipped cream bra. So I, that that's quite the the jump in my mind from one group to the other. Yeah. So, I oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's alright. Do you did you get like a kind of like a culture shock going from touring with Deftones to touring with Katy Perry?
0: The culture shock was. I mean, when you travel with Katy Perry. It's much nicer accommodations.
1: Hmm.
0: (laughs) Uh, I've never flown first class before meeting Katy Perry. And like the first time I flew with Katy, we flew to Tokyo. And we were in something called tier one first class. And like you were saying, before that, I'm on a tour bus sleeping on the floor.
2: Right.
0: tour bus that reeks of weed and cigarettes and... Six grown men who just got done sweating on stage. Sm-
1: smells like dude. Yeah, right. gotcha. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm getting That's like
2: disgusting.
0: Hot, now I'm getting hot towels and flaming yawn, and my seat turns into a bed. I mean, <laughs> I remember going to sleep at one point point, Katie waking me up, and she goes, "Andrew, what are you doing? What are you doing?" I said, "Katie, it's a 16-hour flight. I'm getting some sleep." And she goes, "Andrew, I love you." And I know that everything's gonna work out for you, but here's the deal. I'm gonna be rich and famous for the rest of my life. I have no idea what's gonna to happen to you. Just stay awake and enjoy the flight. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it was culture shock in all ways. I mean, every single aspect. Like, we were, when I was traveling with Katie, it was with Glenn. And Glenn, she's taking all these meetings at record labels. She's taking meetings at, like, Louis Vuitton, all these fashion things, like, you know. Right. I think with an international pop star like that, there's a lot of things that are prepped beforehand. Um, Like, she knew that it was all going to work out. And the culture shock, yeah, I mean, it was also like, wow, everybody's happy. (laughs) When we're with Katy Perry, everybody's smiling. And Deftones... Yeah, they'd been on the second leg of this tour. They were tired. The singer's throat was going out. Yeah, it was a it was a culture shock. But you know, like over the years of music videos, I would go from like directing Deftones one week to the Jonas Brothers the next week. Mm-hmm. And really, it was like about just kind of adapting, not showing up to the Jonas Brothers like I'm the metal guy. Right. Uh, you know, like it probably sounds corny, but like when I do music videos, like whatever band I'm shooting. I try to put myself in the mindset of, like, this is my favorite band. I'm way into these guys. It helps keep that positive energy going.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: Makes sense, actually.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've never listened to a Jonas Brothers song, but I get why people like them.
2: As somebody who is in the right age group to like Jonas Brothers songs, I've barely listened to the Jonas Brothers, so I understand that at the same time. But, like, you're going to jump into it with the, you guys are doing great because... If you don't, they're not going to give their best in a video.
0: Exactly. You know, I mean, the you know, bands feed off of the director's energy because bands ordinarily do not like doing music videos.
2: Right.
0: It's like a pain in their butts. They're not getting paid for this. Quite the contrary, they're paying for this. A lot of them don't really see the importance in a music video, especially like, I mean, even back then, when I was like 03, 04, 08, 09, when MTV was still a thing. Um, now they really don't care. I don't know. Like every artist I work with, it's like, I see the best in them. I understand why their fans like them. I appreciate them.
2: Yeah. It would be interesting to go from working with the Deftones to working with Katy Perry to working with literally Disney children. Like that's, I mean, that's how the Jonas brothers got their start is they were Disney kids. And that like, you, I can only imagine you walking in and still being in the Deftones mindset to three teenage boys well preteen boys at that point they
0: were teenage at that point the videos for the year 3000
1: mm. uh, i can honestly say that the first time i heard a jonas brothers song was when i found out that you directed the uh, year 3000 video and i went and watched that video and i was like oh it's like a disney take on pop punk okay got it yeah. and and yeah so that was honestly the very first time and only time i have listened to a Jonas Brothers song. Yeah. And I, it wasn't it wasn't bad, honestly. It wasn't bad. I mean it was yeah. very, it was very kid friendly, very radio friendly, yeah. pop punk.
0: Right, exactly. They're really good at what they do. Yeah. You know, if I have a 40-year-old friend who says, Oh, I hate the Jonas Brothers, my reaction is always, Well, first of all, why? Have you researched the Jonas Brothers? Did you go and listen to a bunch of Jonas
2: Brothers songs? Right. Why? You're 40.
0: I, I don't this is not hate, who
2: they're who they're aiming for. Right, I don't
0: hate any bands. There's just some music where it's like, yeah, it's not my thing. I don't follow my ear. But I never say that I only hate them. I hate them. Right. I got a
2: couple. I'm not going to lie.
0: Well, you're just a, a cranky old man, though, Tim. But I will, I, I will tell wrong. you this. I will tell you this that crosses Eddie, and there is an Eddie Van Halen Jonas Brothers parallel, which mm-hmm. was. Eddie he heard me on the phone one day describing the kinds of amps I wanted for the back line. Okay.
1: Brothers. Actually, Andrew, hold that, hold that answer. I have a specific question coming up for you about oh. this particular thing. Okay. <laughs> so I don't want you to get into it too much because it's.
2: Because Tim wants to hear the whole <laughs> but then thing. Because then I lose my question.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. But let, let's do talk about the book. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, now, again, it's called Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen. Now, you told us how you came to be the man to chronicle the band Van Halen. You got to witness the ouster of Michael Anthony, the 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 inclusion and introduction of Wolfgang uh, to the band, uh, the return of David Lee Roth to the band. Uh, you know, you had some pretty cool th- things there. But one of the things I noted in the book, and, and you even talked about this with me on the phone, and you talk about it in the book as well, what is one of the big things about Eddie Van Halen that most people do not understand?
0: Work ethic. Eddie Van Halen plays the guitar all day long. He practices and practices and practices. Right. When I was there, the, he did not necessarily have any hobbies. He didn't really socialize. He would get up, walk up the driveway to 5150, plug in and play until one, two o'clock in the morning. And he did it because he loved to play guitar, but he also did it because he wanted to stay as good as he was. He didn't believe in being complacent. He never sat back and went, okay, well, I'm Eddie Van Halen. I can just go gallivant and spend all my money and party and do this and that. Eddie's thought was, I can get better every day. I can get better, I have to stay this good. He was not in a sense in life, a rock star, you know? The man was plugged in and playing like he's a kid still trying to get a record deal. Right. You know? Um, I don't think a lot of people know that. And the other thing is that on a personal level, he's the most loving, kind, caring person. Every day I saw Eddie, when he first saw me, he would come into like where my desk was and his assistant's desk, and he would sit down and every day he did not kick off the conversation with talking about his own life or mentioning himself. Every single day was the same thing. He plopped down, put a cigarette in his mouth, and go, So Andrew, how's life going for you? How are things? <laughs> he genuinely really cared about others. He didn't want to talk about being a rock star.
1: None of it. That's cool.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I love the quote on the back of the back cover of the book. It's from Eddie. It says, When kids ask me how it feels to be a rock star, I say I'm not a rock star. I'm not in it for the fame. I'm in it because I like to play.
0: Yeah, I mean, one day he was frustrated with some people. You know, he had his days where he's frustrated with some people. I don't know if people know this, but there was some drama in Van Halen here and there. It's Mitch, just a little bit. But um, and you know what? During that drama, he never said anything horrible about the other guys. He never cut below the belt. He would express his frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, but one day he was frustrated, and he just said to me, he goes, Andrew, you know me. I'm just Ed, right? I'm just Ed. I said, yeah, man, you're just Ed. He goes, yeah, but sometimes these people push me. And that's when I have to become Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> so he didn't like being the Eddie Van Halen. He didn't want to be a rock star. You know, he wanted to just be be Ed. And that's the way he always was. You know, if he went out and people recognized him, you know, he would let them have that. He wouldn't go, oh, get away, I'm Ed, this rock star thing. He would stop for every single person in a parking lot at the grocery store. And people would, I always said that, like, when people maybe see a celebrity, they get really excited. They're like, hey, big fan. With Eddie, they would see him, and I think I can still do the impression. They go, Oh, oh my God. (laughs) And the first time it happened, this guy must have gone on for like a full 60 seconds. And Eddie just leans over to me and goes, This stops eventually. You'll see. (laughs) 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 And he let the guy do his thing. And the guy said, Oh my God, you know, I've been listening to you since I was 13 years old. I'm a huge fan. And Eddie said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. He said, what's your name? The guy said his name. And um, guy's like, oh, I wish I had something for you to sign. And Eddie, like, dumped out his groceries in the car, tore up a piece of the grocery bag, and signed the grocery bag for the guy. <laughs> and That's awesome. Then he hugged it. didn't shake his hand. He didn't put up his hand to go, thanks. He goes, hey, man, it's really good to meet you. So, yeah. And he was really appreciative. And as we drove back up to the house, I said to him, I go, that was really nice, man. You always approach fans like that? He goes, yeah, of course. They bought this house, Andrew. I owe them that much.
1: That's cool. He
0: he was always just so appreciative. And, you know, I've seen rock stars who were not a fraction as kind as he was, and they've never accomplished anything close to any Van Halen.
1: I just want to point out that that guy's reaction would be me if I ever met, like, you know, Eddie Vedder, or if I would have ever met Scott Weiland. That would have been, that would have been my reaction. That would have been me. Just, hmm, hi, I've been <laughs> listening to you since I was twelve. You're awesome.
0: Yeah, that would still I, be that
1: would still be me. I just.
0: So. I was at a Pearl Jam show. That's one of my favorite bands. I've written letters to management and labels saying I will direct a Pearl Jam video or a live show, even better, for free. I don't care.
1: If that uh, happens and you need an assistant, please let me know.
0: You got it. <laughs> but I was at a Pearl Jam show. <laughs> I was at a Pearl Jam show in Brooklyn, and it was about a year before I got sober. And I don't remember much of that Pearl Jam show, but apparently I was pretty out of it. And I'm listening to one of the live records they put out. You know, they put out all these live records from all mm-hmm. the shows. Mm-hmm. And here's this one from Brooklyn the night that I'm there, and he's in the middle of playing a live. And all of a sudden, he just goes, you're doing okay there, Andrew? <laughs> I heard it one day, years later. And I, re- I kept listening, and I called my friend who was at the show. And I said, hey, man, I'm listening to the Pearl Jam show that we went to in Brooklyn. He goes, oh, yeah? Did you come across that part where Eddie better asked if you were doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah. I go, what's the story with that? He goes, Andrew, you were pretty drunk, and you were having a really good time. and we kept saying Andrew chill out Andrew chill out then Eddie walked over and said are you doing okay there Andrew (laughs) and that's the closest I've ever come to meeting Eddie better
1: man there'd be me listening to it going
0: the vapors I got the vapors I mean Pearl Jam is you know like I'm Gen X so like Pearl Jam is one of my favorite bands and there was an ongoing joke for a long time which was I mean no disrespect to. Eddie Van Halen, of course, but, you know, the generation before me, but my friends used to joke, oh, man, you got the wrong Eddie, didn't you? <laughs> if you're going to document somebody, document Eddie Van Halen. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, there's yeah, some of the stuff that you've already talked about, there, there's so much more added on to that into the book and, and another reason why guys need to go check out your book.
2: With music and being around musicians, it seems like anymore music is just written remotely by musicians in different locations, trading files over the Internet if it isn't just one guy with a drum machine in his bedroom, like it, it's become so different from having people who are in the room together, working on their craft together. And there's that magic that happens in a recording studio with an actual band that can't happen with software. It just, you don't have that same, you don't have a personal connection with a computer. Right. But do you think that the the lack of human interaction in the creative process takes away from the finished product. Do you think that we need that conflict and resolution between artists in the studio to make something great?
0: I think so, yeah. I mean, I I think that the artists I spent the, the most time like with a band recording an album was I was in the studio with Deftones for a couple of albums. And I just got to see the whole process. And like, you know, obviously they've written some stuff before they come in, but they're also writing things as they go. Chino's writing lyrics as he's listening to, you know, the guitar player's riffs. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's this whole vibe to the studio. I mean, all the way to like Chino from Deftones had a side project called Team Sleep. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: they were trying to do their record in Los Angeles, but Chino was getting a little distracted in Los Angeles. (laughs) And so the label sent them up to the middle of nowhere in Washington State, where we're in the studio that's in the middle of the woods, and Soundgarden had done their first record there.
1: Oh, nice. We're in the
0: middle of the woods, and we're not staying in a hotel. We're sleeping on these bunk beds that are upstairs above the studio. So for like six weeks, they genuinely never left the studio and wrote wow. all these songs as they went in the studio. So, yeah, it's a there's definitely a bond. I don't know how bands can do it by sharing files remotely.
2: And... You- you do lose that personal connection. You lose the, the sound of fingers on guitar strings and yeah. the, the way that calluses slide across strings and the way that sticks hit differently with different drummers.
0: Yeah. There's also the chemistry that happens between band members when they're writing those songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember in the studio with Deftones one day and they're trying to do this song and um, Chino's like, yeah, it's like, and then he's he goes, man, when our first three records came out, the label kept telling me to take all of my screaming out, like I'm doing now. But then five months later, dudes are screaming all over the radio. And yeah. you know, they're like, in this moment, trying to decide, like, how hard is he going to scream? But they're having this conversation as a group of guys who've also known each other since they were 15 years old. Right. Yeah, and I think something comes out in that music when they're able to stand five feet from each other.
2: I think especially with, with bands who have known each other that long or bands that have siblings in them, because sibling rivalry is a whole other story. Yeah. Between, I mean, the way that you act with your friends versus the way that you act with your siblings, and especially if your your siblings disagree with you, when you know that you're right, like, it's going to come across <laughs> in music.
0: Yeah, I mean, Deftones definitely had some great fights, (laughs) you know. This will come as a shock. Eddie and Alex Van Halen had fights. Um, You know, like Van Halen, you know, when they were doing these rehearsals that I documented, these rehearsals were for no reason. There was no album being written. There was no tour scheduled yet. There was Mm -hmm. no reunion scheduled yet. These rehearsals were simply because Eddie wanted to jam. That was it.
1: All right, so let's talk, one more quick question here for you about the book. Looking at uh, the, the, well, more than a year, but the time that you spent at 5150, uh, you found yourself sleeping on couches. You found yourself watching and listening to these rehearsals, uh, and you just mentioned it uh, about the legendary fights between the Van Halen brothers trying to avoid those with the code word Uh, DEFCON, but... (laughs) In your book, you talk about directing the video for the Jonas Brothers uh, for their song called The Year 3000, which we mentioned earlier. And you also directed a song for Nickelback and their song Rockstar, uh, both while you, at, during your time at 5150. What was Eddie Van Halen's reaction to each one of the band's videos and your editing
0: them? So with the Jonas Brothers, um, he heard me on the phone one day talking to my producer about the back line the amps and the heads that i wanted and i said you know i just want classic marshals and then maybe some cool vintage things um that's the look i want for these kids and because they are playing guitars and then you know one of them was playing keyboards they were being yeah. a band they weren't dancing like a boy band and eddie overheard the conversation and when i hung up he goes andrew come here come here and he opens up this garage that he has at 5150 that's full of guitars and amps. And he goes, you're talking about amps like these? I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He goes, well, they use these. I said, seriously? He goes, yeah, I'll have somebody bring them to the set. And so we're on the set of the Jonas Brothers, and all of a sudden this guy comes up in a van starts unloading these amps that, like, on the back is stenciled Van Halen. And and this is a credit to the Jonas Brothers, by the way. At 15, 16 years old, these kids, they were really taken aback by the amps. And they're like, wow, man, those are cool amps. I said, yeah, you want to know where these amps came from? And they said, where? And I go, these are Eddie Van Halen's. And those three kids freaked out. (laughs) I bet. They knew Van Halen. They knew who Eddie Van Halen was. They thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And so I would edit these videos at 5150 because I was kind of expected to always be there rehearsal or no rehearsal. So I was there all the time. And so we ended up like moving in my desk and a couple of chairs and I would edit the Jonas brothers and, you know, Ed would dip in and look at the video and listen to the Jonas brothers and go nice kids doing what they do. (laughs) No critique about the Jonas brothers at all. Like kind of like we were saying, they're good at what they do. Yeah. Sure. Um, and when the camera rolls, those kids knew how to put on a show. I feel Nickel like more people need to. Hand.
2: I feel like more people need to be like that with the F. Ah, they're good at what they do.
0: Exactly. They're good at what they do. Nickelback on the other hand. Yeah. When I got the track, so like new video directors, the label will pick like five directors and we all write a treatment. And then those treatments go to the label and the band. They pick the one they like, and that's who gets the video. Okay. And the guy at the label at Roadrunner Records, who I've been doing a lot of like hard metal videos for, called me and asked me if I wanted to do Nickelback. And I just made a joke. All it was a joke. And I said, I would love to direct Nickelback video. I just don't want to direct Nickelback. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah
0: within the industry I, I believe the guys in the band are cool but i had a couple other director friends who had worked with them and said that the singer is kind of a pain i like i wasn't serious of course i would take in this video regardless but the guy at the label says well then come up with an idea and i said well the song's called Rockstar. it's a little tongue-in-cheek and kind of corny and the hook is hey hey i want to be a rock star and i said you know everybody in a sense kind of wants to be a rock star i said so uh Why don't we just get a basic video camera, go around the world, go to all these different countries, pick random people off the street, then get some celebrities, have them all lip sync the entire song, and then we'll cut it together. So it's all these regular people off the streets in all these countries and all these celebrities lip syncing a Nickelback song. And they went for it. And we went off and did this video, and I'm back at 5150, and I'm editing the video. And Eddie was never really in my, my room, he's in the studio, and then my room and his assistant's room are just on the other side of a wall. Mm-hmm. So I would listen to things, you know, on a desktop speaker. And one day I'm doing Nickelback, and Eddie comes in, drops a pair of headphones on the keyboard, and simply says, Andrew, you got to wear headphones for this one. I can't <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think that's my favorite story out of all of this
0: and I, I always joke that, and i do like to joke that the most rock and roll cred rock and roll street cred that nickelback might ever get is that your video was edited at 5150
1: you're not wrong no yeah. no <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> you know the, the thing with nickelback for me is that i can't stand any other radio play stuff the radio friendly stuff just absolutely kills me like rockstar and photograph and a couple of but they have some songs on a couple of their albums that are not made for radio that are actually pretty decent their their musicians in the band are very solid and you're like and i'm always thinking why don't you guys just do i understand why they do it because they want to sell records they want to make money you know they want to go on tour do all that kind of stuff but i'm like i think you guys could have had a better you know or a a as equally strong following if they would have been you know the other style instead of the radio for, I don't know, just me.
2: I mean, I, I, I know that I'm in the minority here and I actually like Nickelback, but I was also a teenage girl when they were popular, when they first became popular, like it was more directed <laughs> to my age group. And yeah.
0: <laughs> Nickelback, Nickelback was never trying to be anything. They weren't. Right. right. guys weren't out there trying to get the same cred as Deftones or Van Halen. No. They knew exactly what they were. They were straight, radio, rock and roll. And like we've said before, very good at what they do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And yeah, they so are.
0: this whole like everybody hates Nickelback. Well, everybody hates Nickelback, then who's in all these sold-out arenas? <laughs>
2: right. There's a Everybody's lot of lying just people in Nickelback is. fan.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of a lot of liars out there. But yeah, that that story of Eddie walking in and dropping the <laughs> the headphones on you that that to me is that's like
0: pretty
2: great
1: classic that's that's... Eddie,
0: he had this amazing sense of humor he <laughs> was one of the funniest guys rock star friend regular person one of the funniest dudes i've ever met that's awesome it's Such got like, a great spirit so yeah, having
2: like having spent so much of the time in 5150 in the studio with so many big bands and big names and you spent time on the road with multiple major artists if there is a single nugget of wisdom that you could still could distill from all of that to give to musicians who are starting out what would it be
0: practice have rehearsals three times a week four times a week be working when you're not in the studio don't think that you're amazing right away be your own worst critic i said you know i have come across so many bands I won't name names but I've come across so many bands where it's like their first single has come out they've got a record deal and now they think that they're this amazing brilliant band and now they have catering requests on their music video sets and you know I mean I've thought it in my head with plenty of bands I've worked with which is god you guys are acting like divas you're taking all this (laughs) like you deserve it and you know who's far more humble than you guys? Eddie Van Halen, the greatest <laughs> guitar player who's ever lived that sold 100 million records. He works harder than you guys do. I think yeah. it's work ethic. You know, it's the same thing with Deftones. Those guys still practice mm-hmm. three, four days a week. You know, those guys would go on tour 10 months a year, five shows a week. And I, I again, I'm exhausted I
2: just thinking about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it is exhausting. I think it was the drummer from Deftone said, it's not the tour itself that is taxing. It's the people you're touring with.
1: Yeah. There you go.
0: People live on a bus with these other four guys. And I don't know. I mean, I've worked with some younger bands that do have work ethic that are working hard. But yet again, these guys should be working their butts off just so they can get a second record out in the hopes right. of label keeps them on
2: yeah and
0: now you have eddie van halen who's practicing two three days a week with his brother and his son for no other reason than he doesn't want to lose his touch he wants to stay as good and get better work ethic i would say i like that
1: solid advice all right andrew we have one one final question for you all right and we typically call this our silly question and i was i did have a silly question in mind but then, uh, just a few minutes before we, we started recording this, this session today, I, I thumbed across something in your book that I completely forgot about, so I took out the silly question. I added this one in instead. All right. So here it goes. What was it like to be the singer of Van Halen for a day?
0: <laughs> um, that was nerve-wracking. <laughs> uh, at this point, the band has the band has reunited. David Lee Roth is coming back thanks to Wolfgang Van Halen's idea, mm-hmm. which was, hey, Dad, we should call David Lee Roth out of nowhere one day. And so Dave would come to a couple of rehearsals, mainly to make sure that they can all be in the same room together. Make sure Dave still has the pipes, which he did. And uh, I'm sitting at my desk one day, and Eddie comes storming in and goes, hey, Andrew, Andrew, Dave's not coming today. We need somebody to sing. Let's go. I said, Are you, you want me? He goes, yeah, 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 you just need to do one song, just one song. And I said, all right. And I walked in, I go, what song do you want me to do? He goes, what song do you want to do? <laughs> said, Hot for Teacher. He goes, all right, <laughs> let's do it. And so they play, and I sing Hot for Teacher. And when we're done, I went to Eddie and I said, I am so sorry, man. I am not a singer. That was terrible. And Eddie smiles and goes, Andrew, you're better than Dave.
2: <laughs>
0: wow! Not he didn't truly believe, but it goes into like any sense of humor,
2: right? Sure,
1: sure. you know it's still funny. Gosh!
0: But yes, <laughs> next to Sammy, Gary, Sharon, David Lee Roth, and me for three and a half minutes. There you go.
2: Oof. that's that's an impressive three and a half minutes, though. I mean, hey, I'm also the only
0: singer from Van Halen to never get in a fight with the band. Hey, there
2: you go. That bonus. Impressive. (laughs) All right, Andrew, we have enjoyed talking to you so much today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about your work and what you've got coming?
0: Right now, I mean, I have a Vimeo page that has a good chunk of music videos on it. Ever since I wrote the book, I kind of drifted off from music videos. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the whole writing process, such as I don't have to travel. I can stay at home. So there's a Vimeo page of Andrew Bennett. And uh, there's some articles out there too about the book. Like Billboard did a nice interview mm-hmm. where we get a little more, where we get pretty in depth with some things. Awesome. And of course, the book, which is only available at eruptioninthecanyon.com.
2: Awesome. Well, we will and link all of that. Available on
0: hardcover. Eddie was, I'll just point this out Eddie was really about quality. That was mm-hmm. his thing. Not complacent at all. And so. I was told, you know, well, you could make so much more money and sell more copies if you did a paperback. But to me, in my like in my mind, I could see Eddie going, "No, I don't make a paperback, man. Give him quality, right? Um, quality." And then, eye out on
2: Eddie, otherwise,
0: yeah. And then I kept it to doing it myself. Like I pay for the printing. I pack the book up, books up, out of my house. Uh, you know, my wife helps me load up the car take them to FedEx. Um, And obviously, you know, there's the route of you could have gone to Amazon. And, you know, we're not going to get political or anything like that, but one, Amazon takes a huge chunk of your money. Mm
1: -hmm. Sure.
0: Um, And I don't know Jeff Bezos personally, but he doesn't seem to be giving any money to really needy causes or helping the world. And that was, again, where I could hear Eddie in my head going, why help a billionaire just do it yourself andrew so yeah it's been a small business out of the living room so there you go okay. com. but i stay on top of everything everything goes out on time
2: as independent podcasters we are all about supporting small business right on we will definitely link that so that all of our viewers and our listeners can find it and get that awesome book
1: And I do want to point out that the book is quality. This is an amazing book. And if you're a fan of the band Van Halen and you would love would like to see some good stories and and some amazing pictures. And I do mean amazing behind the scene pictures. This is definitely the book for you. And we want to take this moment to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show continue to grow. You should see a link pop up somewhere right around there. John will add it for us. Wherever he puts it. Wherever he puts it, 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 it could be over here. Bounce, could, who knows. Anyway, he moves it around on us from time to time. But that's the way that we get more amazing guests like Andrew Bennett here today to have these great conversations and share some laughs with. So please subscribe. It helps more than you'll ever know. And remember, kids, pop culture, it's all around you, influencing every single part of our lives. So be sure to come back next week because we'll have your fix waiting for you right here on Pop Culture Addicts.
2: Thanks again, Andrew.
0: Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Take care, guys
1: hey thanks for listening to pop culture addicts if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of pop culture addicts you can reach us on either instagram or twitter by using the handle at pca you can also email us at pcapodshow at gmail.com thanks for listening copyright 2021 pop culture addicts reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by pop culture addicts or any of its sponsors the views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent if you have any questions about this disclaimer please contact us
0: via email at pcapodshow at gmail.com